Hey everybody, welcome to the Multiply Podcast. This week we're talking about the gospel and self-leadership. Check it out. Hey everybody, welcome to the Multiply Podcast. Welcome back. My name is Jared. My name is David. Dave, how you been, man? Oh man, doing great. How about yourself? Yeah, yeah I mean, you don't look so good. Well. That's just a byproduct of old age, I guess. I am turning 40 this year. Oh. Big 4 How do you feel about that? Tell tell the listeners. Um, I feel great. I feel like, you know, just a number. Yeah. Doesn't yeah. scare me. That's a good way to convince yourself. Halfway through life, probably. <laughs> wow, you're setting your, your bar a little low there. I would With advances in technology and science, I would think you're maybe only a third of the way through life. That's probably pretty high for me, actually, based on my, <laughs> my dietary habits. Well, we all certainly hope that that is not true. Uh, we wanted to get started in this podcast as we're talking about the gospel and self-leadership. And I think, David, you're one of the best people to speak to this topic. So I'd love to get your thoughts. What comes to your mind? What do you think about when the topic of the gospel and leading ourselves? Yeah, I think um, to kind of take a step back when we talk about leadership, I know one of the definitions that people use a lot for leadership is influence. And there's hundreds and thousands of other definitions of leadership, but uh, sometimes people will say, I don't know who I'm leading. I don't have have anyone to lead, but we're all ultimately leading ourselves. And so self-leadership is uh, a topic that applies to everybody, no matter what position they find themselves in, what stage of life they find themselves in. And self-leadership is basically the ability to understand yourself, know yourself, lead yourself through um, good times, bad times, understand your emotions. And um, so when we talk about the most important practice in self-leadership, we're talking specifically in the context of Christian leadership. Um, and for us, uh, or for me, I should say, the thing that I've learned is the most important practice in my life is the ability to um, consistently speak the gospel to my own heart, um, to develop a level of gospel fluency in my life where whatever the situation is happening around me, whatever the challenges are, whatever my team needs, wherever we're headed, uh, there is this consistent ability to be able to remind my heart of the gospel truth. Okay, so um, why is that, do you feel like, the most important self-leadership tool? Why is it Why is it ranked so high for you? You know, um, James K. Smith in his book, You Are What You Love, he says that to be human means to be animated by and oriented toward some vision of the good life. I'll say it again because it's, you know, kind of a fancy sentence from a philosopher. But to be human is to be animated by which I think means to sort of be put in motion, to, to be compelled, and to be oriented towards what speaks of our direction, what are we aiming for, some vision of the good life. And that phrase, vision of the good life, has really stuck with me since I read his book a couple of years ago. And the idea is that every single person has a personal vision of the good life. What is it going to look like when they arrive? What's it going to look like when they get there? And our proximity to that vision or our distance from it, our path towards it, or the obstacles between us and it often determine the way that we feel our emotions, our responses in any given situation. So um, I say all that to say that for the Christian, the vision of the good life is Jesus, who he is, what he's accomplished for us, the gospel, the good news that God is rescuing all of humanity, renewing all of creation in and through the person work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Um that becomes the foundation for my identity, my value, my worth, and my emotions are rooted 
in this unchanging, unmerited, undeserved work of another on my behalf and not on my work on my behalf, which is uh, a very um, sort of not obviously as secure place to rest my my sense of self and worth. Yeah. Yeah, that's really, um, it's really helpful. And I think it's true when people begin to really think about this because we all have a... Um, whether we realize it or not, most for most of us is probably just a self, uh, a subconscious motivator. Mm-hmm. Like we all have this idea of, man, if I could just get this thing, then I would finally feel satisfied or finally feel happy. And um, for everybody, it's different. Like for some, it's, um, you know, when you're young, it's, it's uh, if I could just get this girl to date me or this guy to go out with me. Um, when you get older, if I could just get into this this school, if I could just make my parents happy. For some people, I mean, they're they're 65 years old and they're still thinking that, right? If I could sure. just get my dad to be proud of me or whatever. Oh, yeah. Um, and then it's, if I can just make enough money, then I could get this or then I could that. If I could just have the right promotion at job, if I just had a better marriage or if I just had a different spouse or if my kids are just better behaved or whatever it is, right? We all have those those things that motivate us. And I think um, this is understanding gospel fluency and the need for it in our life is so essential, not just for the roles that we serve in leadership, but as you're saying, how do we lead our own personal lives? Because it reveals the heart and motivation of everything that we do. Yeah. And I think it's, um, to take it another step, I think it's, so whatever our vision of the good life is, whatever that thing is that we live for and that we are chasing after, pursuing, um, it drives us. It's our motivation. It guides us. It directs our choices, um, but it actually, on a spiritual level, becomes a functional savior to us. So we're looking to that thing to do for us what Jesus alone can do for us and what Jesus has already done for us and is continuing to do that work in us and will complete that work someday, right? So the real issue here is that apart from the regular practice of preaching the gospel to ourselves, we're always going to default to this sort of position of idolatry in our hearts. And I think it's Martin Luther um, depending on the translation that you read of his writings, who says something along the lines of that the human heart is a factory of idols, that we're just sort of constantly producing idols, and that anything, everything, uh, can be an idol in our lives and take up that sort of um, priority. Um, yeah, I read a book a few years ago, too, by, um, it's called The Road to Character by David Brooks, who's a columnist for the New York Times. And he talked about the, in his introduction, he talked about the difference between uh, resume virtues and eulogy virtues. And this really hit home for me last year. My dad passed away, my brother passed away, and I got to hear their eulogies. And they were both really good at the different things that they did. My dad was a pastor, my brother was a teacher. But at the end of your life, people don't talk as much about your resume virtues, like where you went to school and your education and even your abilities and your excellence in your work. They talk about your eulogy virtues, which was like your kindness and um, how generous you were and how much time you spent with people and your legacy. Your legacy is more about your um, who you were than even what you've done in many cases. And so, uh, but David Brooks talks about, he says there's a, there's a phrase in the introduction where he says there's a propensity in our nature. Um, he's, actually, he says there's a perversity in our nature that leads us to get those priorities out of whack. So even though we know it's more important to be with our children, we become slaves to being productive 
and uh, having success and wealth, and so we we give up time with them to be at the office longer. Uh, or even though we know it's 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 a better value or more important value to care for our friends than it is to be interesting at a dinner party, we tell gossip about our friends because in that moment, we want to be interesting. Yeah. And he doesn't call it idolatry, and I don't know where he is at with his faith exactly, but that's 100% what he is right. talking about. And as leaders, there's so, I mean, let me ask you this. You've been in leadership for a while. What do you think are some of the most prevalent idols in the hearts of leadership, specifically in a ministry setting? What are the things that we tend to crave and chase after? And it looks good because it's in a religious environment, but in the end, it can be actually destroying our lives. Yeah, I mean, I think number one is approval. And actually, I think that applies beyond just um, ministry leaders, but I think that applies to actually all of humanity. Like I, th- I mean, there's very few. Usually, people that don't care about approval are like borderline sociopaths in some way. <laughs> like those are the the psycho serial killers, right? Like, like I think for all of us, and and part of this is too based on how we we're created. Like God made us to be in relationship with people, but we kind of distort um, the beauty of creation and use it in a way it wasn't intended. And so. I mean, I, I know for me, like if you if you're a pastor and you and you preach or you do sermons, right? It's like how how much of even while you're up there in the midst, right? Like yeah. the reaction of the audience or how well you think people yeah. think of you. You know, do they think I'm funny? Do they think I'm smart? Do they think whatever the thing is that I, I tend to feel like whatever the thing is that gets you approval as a person or a communicator, that's the thing you'll look for. And then your whole emotions will be based on whether or not you think you're getting that. So you step down off of, of preaching, and it's like, if you think people thought you were funny and smart, at least you know those are some of mine. It's like, oh man, that was that was powerful. Like what a that was a great sermon. I feel so good. And then if if you're like, there's no reaction, and no one says, hey, great word, man, or no one comes up, it's like, why am I even doing this? I might as well like I might as well do something else, you know. Mm-hmm. So. So if your approval idol is attached to people thinking you're funny and you're smart, you must be miserable all the time. Uh, well, I don't know. Believe it or not, I mean, I just, it gets fed a lot, you know? That's, no, why it's, you, that's why you had two children. Yeah, that's true. They always think you're they funny and smart. They laugh at anything. It's great. <laughs> I think that um, the the really dark side of this is that whatever becomes our functional savior then has control over us. We're, en- we're enslaved to it. It's our master. And you know, Tim Keller is so helpful on this in this conversation. Has been so formative in my own understanding of the need for gospel fluency. Um, and so, um, one of the guys that I know was very influential for him was Dr. Martin Lloyd Jones, and he said that a lot of our unhappiness in our own lives is directly related to the fact that we're listening to ourselves instead of talking to ourselves. And there's always this internal dialogue going on, you know, within ourselves. And our ability to talk to ourselves is so much faster than our yeah. ability to even hear or process things that are happening outside of us. And so in any given moment, like you were giving the example, you're up front preaching. And even as you're preaching and even as you're talking, you're still able to, in your head, be thinking, do they like me? Do they like this? Why is that person sleeping? Why don't they take <laughs> that baby out? You know, like the, all that stuff is Why going Why is that on. guy giving me the middle finger? Right. Oh, wait, that's actually my brother? What? <laughs> yeah, I don't know that example. But oh, no? Yeah, that's just you. Just me. Okay. Um, you know, so you're, you're, you have this constant. So the idea of gospel fluency is how do I speak the gospel to myself in any given moment to remind myself of what is true? And I think Spurgeon called it the most important uh, task that a Christian has is every day to 
preach the gospel to themselves. And so um, what are some practical ways that, you know, you've tried to work that in to your own life in ministry and leadership? Yeah, I, this, has been, this has been a game changer for me because it, what, one of the things that it revealed to me is it showed me that um, all sin is motivated by idolatry, right? So my good behavior and my bad behavior is, um, is ultimately motivated by the sin of worshiping and looking to something that's not Jesus. That's what makes it sin. And so for me, this was eye-opening. And I'll give a personal example, and then I'll tell you the practical tool that I use that actually developed kind of out of this example. Um, there's one time my wife came home and, and she was, a, she was out doing something. She was coming back to the house and I was like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to clean the whole house. Like I'm going to really, I'm going to do something great for her. So I, I clean the whole house and typical, you know, you know how men are like, if you have this ability to clean an entire house in like 13 minutes, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's not an A, A quality work. Nah. It's like a C plus, but it could look like an A quality. Just pushing things out of the line of sight. Exactly. Exactly. So I'm running around, I'm cleaning, I'm doing dishes. I'm like, oh, it's going to be awesome. And my wife comes home and I'm expecting her to walk in and be like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. Like it looks beautiful. And she walks in and doesn't say a word about it. And, and all of a sudden, like, I don't know if you've ever been angry at somebody and you have no idea why you're angry at them. You ever have that happen? Like your emotions are kind of riled up. You're like, why am I so like frustrated yeah. or irritated at this person? Towards you a lot. Yeah, <laughs> I can sense that. Um, so that happened, and I remember we got in a little little fight, and my wife, she had to leave to go to another appointment, so she leaves the house, and I'm like, what was that about? Why was I so mad at her? And I started to realize, and this is where I came up with this process, I started to realize the reason I was mad at her was um, it was because she didn't come in and acknowledge what I'd done for her. And all of a sudden, it was like the realization, you didn't do that for her, you did it for yourself. Like you were desiring her approval. You wanted to come her, her to come home and go, you're an amazing husband. You wanted her to go on Facebook and be like, my husband's so amazing and everybody else would like it. And, um, you know, and so, um, so I realized in that moment, okay. You are so depraved. <laughs> I can't even, I, I think our true. audience can't even relate to what Is that what, about. is this what's going to happen on the podcast? I share moments of honesty <laughs> and then I just get thrown on the bus? I'll share a terrible one in a second. Okay, good. And so I realized in that moment, I'm like, you know what? I've got to figure out a way, um, of assessing my idols and speaking the gospel to myself. So for me, I, I did a process called look in, look up, look out. And it's really simple. Like when I found, I read my emotions because your emotions, as you, you said earlier, are kind of an indicator of your heart idols being manifested. And so um, I would read my emotions. Those moments when I'm really mad, I'd ask myself, what am I looking to outside of Christ right now to find my value and worth or to find my identity? And oftentimes I would realize it's approval. So in that moment, I'd say, okay, here's what I'm really looking for. Here's why I'm really mad. And the second part, look up, is preach the gospel with yourself. So look up to Christ. Like remind yourself of who he is, that he's your identity. You don't need to look to approval to find it. And the third step, look out, is if you wrong somebody like I did in that moment, mm-hmm. now you're diffused. Your emotions are not there. You realize you have what you need, and so you can go and apologize and make it right. And so for me, that was a really helpful tool that I've used and still do. Um, to help me assess and preach the gospel to myself. That's great. I do appreciate you sharing that. I think that, um, you know, as far as identifying what our heart idols are, some of the questions I've asked are things like, uh, where do I turn for comfort on a bad day? Uh, What gives me the greatest joy? Sort of what brings this sort of inordinate amount of emotion to my life, whether it's good or bad? What's the root of that? What do I want people to most quickly learn about me? 
when they first meet me. Oh, that's you know, good. That tends to be something that matters maybe too much to me. Hey, did you guys ever know I wrote two books? <laughs> he said that so many times, I can't even tell you guys. Well, more than two, right? Oh, that was a, <laughs> that was a test. That was a test. Um, you know, I, how, I know we've got to finish up here, but I have uh, three little girls, and, and recently I was driving my 10-year-old and my 7-year-old to school, and I was um, – I was about to say I was sitting in the front seat, but I guess that's kind of redundant because they're 10 and 7. <laughs> My 7-year-old was driving, <laughs> teaching her young, since we're confessing things. Um, I was driving, and uh, my 10-year-old from the back, we had the music going a little bit, and um, my 10-year-old from the back says, Dad, do you have a piece of paper for my homework? And I thought, what? I was like, what did you say? And so I turned the music down a little bit. She said it again, and I thought I heard it exactly the same. Dad, do you have a piece of paper for my homework? And now I'm irritated because I'm thinking, she told us she'd finished her homework last night, and now she's trying to do her homework in the car. So I'm like, I kind of snap at her a little bit, and she goes, no, I didn't say homework. I said bookmark. I want a piece of paper for my bookmark. And then I was like, oh, um, okay, yeah. So I ripped off a little piece of paper and handed it back to her. And then she laughed at me and was like, how did you think I, why did you think I said homework? And she's laughing at me. <laughs> now, any sort of like sane person would just kind of play it off and be like, well, you know, the music's playing. Dude, I went into this like, <laughs> I went into this lecture where I basically was like, Lilia, I want you to think about the word bookmark and I want you to think about the word homework <laughs> and I want you to tell me everything they have in common. Oh my God. And she's like, sounds like child abuse. <laughs> and she's like, uh, school? <laughs> uh, I'm like, no, 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 no. The actual words, like the way they're structured, the way that they sound. <laughs> And she, like, totally couldn't get it. So I had to, like, then teach her. I'm like, okay, well, they both have two syllables. <laughs> they both end with a K, so they have the K sound at the end. You know, they both have an O in the front, even though it's pronounced differently, bookmark, homework. But it's, it's basically I'm trying to defend myself. Like, how can you laugh at me that right. I misunderstood you when these two words actually are kind of similar? Right. And, I mean, I got so irritated with her. And when it was done, I felt, like, two inches tall because I realized, like, in that moment, it was this – ugly idol of um, being a good communicator, uh, an ugly idol of, of respect, this this terrible idol of even um, being able to control situations and control my daughter. Um, and I realized, you know, man, I have so much, so much growth in my life to do when it comes to believing the gospel. So speaking the gospel to my heart in that moment, like, um, if one of my idols is the need to be right, I have to constantly remind myself that because of Jesus' work, I'm righteous before the Father. And it's not a righteousness of my own. It's a righteousness, according to Romans, it's a righteousness apart from the law. Yeah. There's really nothing I can do to make myself righteous. Right. And if I'm right before the eyes of the only judge in the universe that actually matters, then why do I so desperately need to be right in front of the eyes of my 10-year-old daughter? Right. It's because I'm forgetting the gospel. So... You know, the most helpful book I've ever read on this, by the way, is Tim Chester's book, You Can Change. And he talks about the four G's that God is great, glorious, good, and gracious. And I'll finish with this. Because God is great, he says, we don't have to be in control. Puts to death our control idols. Because God is glorious, we don't have to fear others. When we see God for who he is, um, we respect awe him and fear him and not others. Because God is good, we don't have to look everywhere else for pleasure. He, he satisfies us. And because God is gracious, we don't have to prove ourselves. And um, I've actually walked into interviews, actually the interview for the job that you're now sitting in, where as I was walking in the room, I was rehearsing those truths to myself. I was saying, God is great. God is glorious. God is good. God is gracious. And it seems like, you know, routine or almost not spiritual to be just, it's like a mantra. 
But actually, I think we have to do things like that um, to preach the gospel to ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. So if you're a leader out there listening, um, I hope you see the importance of this, not just for our personal lives, because it does affect, it affects how we parent, how we um, operate in our marriages, how we're sons and daughters and brothers and sisters and neighbors and all that stuff. But as a leader, too, um, understanding this in your personal leadership will help you assess every motivation for even the good things. Because there's a really high potential that you could have a lot of success, air quotes, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, But the motives of why you're doing everything that you do is because you're worshiping something other than Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. All right, we're going to transition into our portion of the podcast called David's Eats. David, everybody wants to know, what's the best thing you've eaten all week? Well, there's something that's kind of unique to upstate New York, specifically really Syracuse, Utica area, uh, and it's something called chicken riggies. And chicken riggies is a pasta dish, and uh, the riggies is short for rigatoni, so it's a rigatoni pasta. And then there's usually chicken breasts diced and cooked in with it, and peppers and onions, and then there can be different levels of spice. I like it spicy because I'm half Korean. Amen. And... Um, and then they do like um, the sauce is a little hard to explain. It's got a little cream in it. It's kind of you've had it before. How would yeah. you describe it? I don't know. It's like you want to lean towards like a pasta vodka sauce, but it's not really like that. Right. It's kind of different. Yeah, yeah. It's like a creamy red red sauce, creamy sauce. But anyway, it'd be heaven, heaven in the sauce, heaven sauce. Yeah. Mm. So um, there's a place right here near us called Francesca's that just makes this delicious chicken riggies. And actually, most Sundays after church, after I preach, I get in the car with my girls, and we drive over, and my wife and I split a salad, you know, just health conscious. Right, right. And, uh, and a bowl of chicken riggies. And then my oldest girl loves chicken wings, so she orders 12. The good news is she only likes the flats, so I end up eating at least six wings in addition to my riggies and my salad. And my Diet Coke. Right. You got to be healthy. You yeah. got to watch your body. So, yeah, chicken riggies. If, um, if you're not in upstate New York, I don't know if you can find them, but you might be able to find a recipe online for them and try and make them. There you go. All right. Hey, thanks, everybody, for listening. This is the Multiply Podcast. We'll see you guys next time.